What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Milner, and this is a special occasion. It officially is September 1st and the start of three episodes per week. Hopefully, you guys are excited. We've got a Q&A lined up today. That's going to be the traditional Friday episode unless something special happens, but I'm going to try and stick with a schedule that I can commit to because from here on out, it's three episodes per week. No excuses. We just got to get it done. And I can't believe that it's September already. It's crazy how fast time goes by. It's, it's absolutely insane. And by the way, this should be a reminder that whatever it is that you know you need to be doing, just fucking do it. Like, stop waiting for the right time. I don't know. I know this message is like, logically, we get it. We understand it. But so often we lose sight of it. And then we just go, you know, we fall back into our normal way of, of operating, which is to just waste time, just to think that we'll do it at a certain date. We lie to ourselves. We tell ourselves that there's a better time that's coming, that our schedule is clearing up soon, that financially we'll be in a better position. All of that is bullshit. It's a story that you're telling yourself. It's not true because life is unpredictable. Anything can happen at any time. And if you don't just take that first step, if you don't take action on what you truly need to be doing, you're never going to do it. I've seen this time and time again. I actually just had a call with somebody who spoke to me two years ago. I don't, I honestly, full transparency, I don't remember that conversation two years ago, but she told me on the phone that two years ago we spoke and she did not move forward with coaching. And I had said to her something along the lines of, if you don't move forward, like how much do you value your time? Because the time is going to pass anyway. And without doing this, there's a good chance that sometime down the road, you're still going to be where you, where you are now. And if you're okay with that, great. But if not, then maybe you should consider the value that you're placing on your time or the lack of value that you're placing on your time. And she said that two years went by and she was actually embarrassed to reach back out because she didn't want to tell me that I was right. And I, it's not be, I don't do it because I want to be like, I told you so. It's more so the awareness piece of like, we use time as currency way too frequently. We just, we lie to ourselves. And, and here's the thing, I do this too. So that's why I'm so adamant about it because I want to stop doing it as frequently as I do. And I want to help others to stop doing it as frequently as they do. And if we continue to discuss it, hopefully will be more aware in the moment to say, you know what, this might be a situation where I just have to take action and figure it out. So fortunately, two years later, she was ready and was able to take that step and, and really told me on the phone was like, I can't believe I let two, like she kept telling herself that it was silly to be embarrassed and she needs to just book the call, pick up the phone. And she knew that I would be empathetic. She knew that I would be supportive, but there was something in her mind that kept telling her that now was not the time. Now was not the time. And she's like, it's so frustrating to know that I let two years go by that I can't get back. And here's the great part about it. Yes, of course, ideally she would have made that decision two years ago because right now she'd be two years further along towards her goals. But the worst thing that you can do is then say, well, I've already wasted this time, so I'm going to waste more time. Like if she had just said, made the same excuses a couple of days ago, then maybe two more years would have gone by or five years or 10 years. The point is 
Whatever it is that you need to be doing, that you're delaying, that you're not doing, just fucking do it. There's never going to be a better time than right now. So before we jump into the Q&A, I am going to give you another opportunity to show some love to the podcast. We are in a great spot with the growth, but I'd like to do more. I'd like to continue this and you know, spread the word and get new listeners to the show. And I can't do that without you, without my pop fam, without my mind over macros fam. So if you can just leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes, if you can take a screenshot and share this episode to your stories and tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And by the way, if you're a new listener, um, give it a little bit of time before you leave the review because I want you to actually have a five-star rating opinion. I don't want you to just do it because you're a nice person. I want it to be meaningful. Um, all right. So this is all from Instagram. I posted the Q&A story, a uh, little question box, and I'm just going to go through in order that they were asked and we're going to let it rip right now. So the first question was, what are the best ways to prevent loose skin when you have a lot of weight to lose? And here's what I love most about this question. Loose and lose were spelled correctly, okay? Loose, L-O-O-S-E. A lot of times people say, how do I lose weight, L-O-O-S-E, when it's lose, L-O-S-E? That's the most common spelling mistake that I see on a day-to-day -day basis, and I have to shake my head every single time. So kudos to Whoever wrote this question, I'm not going to shout out your IG handle, but great work on the spelling. Best ways to prevent loose skin when you have a lot of weight to lose. So I have this because I was 250 plus pounds at my heaviest. At my lightest, I was about 160. That's a lot of weight that came off my body and I still have loose skin. There is not much that I can do about it. It's in a spot of my body that I am self-conscious about. Anybody will tell you, anybody who's closest to me, uh, Mel thinks that I'm crazy because she says I'm the only person that can see it. It's not true. It's there. I struggle with it. It's the first place that I look at when I'm in pictures with my shirt off. It is the first place that I look at when I look at myself in the mirror. I'm very aware of it because I don't like it. And that's okay. It's there. It's a reminder of everything that I've been through. And I try and approach it with gratitude as much as I can to be like, remember how far we've come. That being said, I have done a lot of work to reduce the amount of loose skin. The best way to do that is to build muscle. Now, everybody is going to be a little bit different, like in where we carry our fat and, and muscle distribution. Some, some people build muscle in certain areas uh, easier than others. Some people lose fat in certain areas before um, others. Like we all, we all have that problem area. We all have the stubborn areas. It's just mostly genetics, but there is something that we can do in terms of building muscle. While you can't spot reduce body fat, you can spot build muscle, right? So if you have loose skin in certain areas, Try to build muscle there. And that's really all you can do. Um, there's, you know, there's some stuff that you can do in terms of like skin health, just with like the, the quality of the foods that you're eating and taking care of yourself and managing stress. All the things that we promote as healthy habits will help to some degree. But really the best bet is just build muscle. And the reality is 
we can only do so much. Like I said, um, I consider myself pretty, um, you know, pretty decent shape in terms of how much muscle I have on my body. But there's that part of me where I'm always going to have loose skin there unless I get it surgically removed, which I do not want to do. So it's there. Um, no matter what, I can build a lot of muscle, uh, but there's still going to be loose skin and I just have to deal with that. So there is something you can do, but only to a certain extent. Next question. Why are rest days so hard? Um, so I, I love this question because I used to struggle with this and probably one of the most common things that we deal with, with our clients, I should say, a, you know, a decent percentage of our clients where we get individuals who come to us and they're just, you know, nonstop. Like I do CrossFit six, seven days a week. I do cardio seven days a week. I lift seven days a week, excuse me. And when we tell them to back off, it's often uh, met with some resistance, like, well, you know, the, the gym is my therapy. It's not, it's not your therapy. It's okay to enjoy that time. It's okay to be like, hey, I love going to the gym because it's just me in my own head and I get to clear my thoughts and whatever. That's fine. It's not your therapy because it's actually a stress on your system. So by definition, it is not your therapy. Uh, so let's just put that to, re to rest. Um, it's difficult because personality-wise, you're likely that type of individual who's like, I can do more, I can work harder. Um, and, and I, like I said, I used to fall into that no days off beast mode mindset, and it wasn't very effective. What I've had to do and what we found to be very effective with our clients is to reframe rest days. It's to reframe what rest days actually are. Because the truth is, we get better during rest days. Anything that you're trying to accomplish, whether it's building muscle, losing body fat, all of the things that you want in terms of body composition, health, the rest days are where the magic happens. Okay. Think about it. When you lift weights, you are actually breaking down muscle tissue. You're putting your body under a lot of stress because then your body has to repair that damage that was done. If you're always working, right? If you're always breaking down muscle, if you're overtraining, if you're never taking a day off, when does that recovery process happen? When do you get to rebuild that muscle tissue? You, you don't. And oftentimes people who struggle to lose body fat or to build muscle, it's because they're under recovered. It's because they're not taking enough rest days. So if you reframe it as like, this is the growth period where I get better, like I'm actually improving, I'm getting stronger by taking a recovery day and maybe don't say rest day, maybe call it an active recovery day or whatever terminology you want to use. Um, I say rest day because now I appreciate it. Like I'm busy. I like my rest days. Now it's, it's funny how I've come full circle on this. Like I, I used to have to, to make up different words and be like, no, actually today is like an active mobility recovery day. And I would just say whatever to like mentally get myself into that mindset. But now I'm like, fuck yeah, it's a rest day. Today I did legs. I can't wait for my rest day tomorrow. I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, but think about it as that's when the magic happens. And there's still, that doesn't mean that you can't do anything. You can still, you can still walk. You can still do mobility. You could do yoga. There's certain things that you can do. And that's fine if you just need to be in the gym or if you just need some time to like feel your body moving or whatever it is, 
that's okay. But just understand that you need that if you want to get better at anything. If you want to improve in any way, shape, or form, you need that. Um, all right. So I get this question a lot, and I think it was on the last Q&A. Next question was, how do you determine how much you should be eating calories and macros based on all of your info? And that's impossible for me to answer. I'm going to give you the same answer that I always give. Um, the best way to find out is by doing it. No calculator is going to understand your situation. No, um, you know, there's never going to be a perfect formula. You can absolutely go online and you'll probably actually had somebody mention this in, a, I think it was a Facebook post where they're like, I typed in all of my stuff on three different calculators and I got calorie ranges from 1200 to 1800. Which one should I follow? And I'm like, well, first of all, that illustrates why we don't just rely on calculations. It's okay to use that as a starting point, but it's not okay just to think that the answer is going to be based in some formula. So the best thing to do is to go with a starting point that feels right for you, also based off of where you're at currently. So if you're eating 1,200 calories and you jump right up to 2,000 calories, you're probably going to gain some body fat. And if you're not okay with that, uh, then I would advise against it. So we have to know where you're starting from. And then, you know, let's say you do want to figure this out on your own and you're anti hiring a coach. The easiest way to do this, honestly, is just hire a coach. I can't stress it enough. When it comes to saving time and money and energy and stress, just fucking hire a coach. It's so much easier. But if you're like dead set on doing this on your own, fine. Start with the calculation and then see how things progress. What you want to look at is your weight averages, not the day-to-day trend, not the day-to-day fluctuations. You want to look at your weight averages. So let's say you do a calculation, you land on 1,800 calories. Breaking down your macros, that should be based off of personal preference, personality type, activity level, um, you know, the type of training that you're doing, how much stress you have in your life. As a general rule of thumb, the more active you are, the more stress you have in your life, the more anxiety or the more anxious type of person you are, the higher your carbs should be. As a general rule, and I hate giving general recommendations, but I'm going to do this here to try and answer this question as best I can. That's the general rule of thumb. Macros, just start with your protein. Um, you know, Ideally, you would be somewhere around 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of body weight. If that's not realistic for you, build up to what is realistic. So let's say you know, let's say you weigh 150 pounds and we'd like to get you around 150 grams of protein per day, but right now you're eating 80 grams of protein per day. Again, this is why starting point is so important. We're not just going to go from 80 to 150. Maybe we're going to go from 80 to 95 or 100, and then from 100 to 110 to 120, and let your body acclimate to what you're doing until we get to a point where you feel pretty good about where protein is. And then carbs and fats, it's, it's kind of irrelevant. I shouldn't say it's totally irrelevant, but for the most part, all that matters is what helps you feel your best and what helps you stay consistent. And if we can do those two things, and by the way, that's why we use the personality-based approach when we're coming up with a nutrition plan. It's because we understand what will help you feel your best, but nothing is more important than what actually happens. So even when we use your neurotype and we set your plan, it's with you know, it's putting our best foot forward. 
But then if you start to follow the plan and you're like, yeah, I don't feel great. Something, you know, I have low energy and hunger is still an issue. Well, then we have to make some adjustments. It's not just a set it and forget it type of thing. Again, coming back to the importance of coaching, because we can see exactly what's going on and how your body's responding. So that's why we track things like your biofeedback, energy levels, hunger, cravings, digestion, stress, mood, sleep, all of that performance recovery. And then we can say, all right, well, let's make this adjustment and see how that feels. Uh, we had an amazing conversation in our coaches uh, group chat um, with, with all of myself and, and my team of coaches just about this exact topic, like seeing what's going on and like how the most important thing for us is that when we're taking clients through their fat loss journey, it's being able to make those little adjustments to keep it sustainable, to be able to know like when to incorporate refeeds, when to incorporate diet breaks, how to come out of that. Like the most important thing that we kept emphasizing was that it's the end game that's the that's the most challenging for individuals on their own because most people don't know how to come out of a cut or out of a fat loss cycle. And that's when they get into the most amount of trouble. They're like, great, I lost all this weight. And then they struggle after that point where we have different tools that we can utilize, but nothing will tell you uh, more information than actually doing it. So start somewhere and see how you feel, see how you progress. Your weight averages over time. So um, if you're somebody who's trying to find your true maintenance, you want to see over a, a two to three week period, what's your weight average doing like on a, on a week by week. Um, so let's say for seven days, your weight average was 50.0. And then the next seven days, your average was you know 50.1 that's weight stable. So you can try to increase a little bit and see what happens. Then after another two weeks, um, you know, your weight average is, you know, 50.0 again, you can increase a little bit more than another 14 days. Your weight average is, you know, 50.5. You're still good. Like we want to get to a point where your weight is, is about the same. Like once you increase and then you start to notice the average is going up by a couple pounds, like maybe it's up from 150 to 153. Now we want to pump the brakes and we want to dial it back a little bit. And we can assume that we're right around true maintenance for that time, right? Maintenance is a moving target. So it's not that quite, you know, quite that simple. But for the most part, we've kind of landed on a number at that point in your life that could change. Because if you've been dieting for a really long period of time, your true maintenance at that point in time might be lower than where it should be. And so we've got some metabolic work to do, right? We've got some metabolic work to do. Then we, through that process of um, you know, metabolic priming, we might be able to get your maintenance up even higher, which is going to be better because then you can lose fat uh, on more calories with more food, with more flexibility. And that's always a good thing. Um, yeah. So that was my long-winded answer of how to do it. Um, somebody asked how to metabolic... It's funny that this question is next. How to metabolic prime and reverse diet to maintain your weight. Um, so I did a whole episode on this, and I probably should have looked at the questions ahead of time because I could have told you the episode number. It was not that long ago. So this is going to be episode 216. It's definitely, you know, like in the two, I don't know, 212 to 213, somewhere in that range, um, 210 to 215, just to, to just to be safe. Um, I did a whole breakdown on how to metabolically prime. But in fact, I literally just outlined it um, two seconds ago in the question about how to set your macros. Like, You want to start with where you're at 
and just gradually build over time. Now, priming, what we also look at is kind of the foundational pieces. So it's not just getting your calories up to maintenance, but it's also uh, eliminating and reducing stress. It's also assessing sleep quality, your habits. So how much you're moving throughout the day, your food quality, how much you're drinking. Um, we really want to look at the foundation. I, I know I talk about this a lot, but it's so critical that we build a strong foundation. So when we're priming, that's a great time to focus on the, the daily habits that you're implementing, like you know, getting your steps in, walking, uh, drinking enough water, focusing on quality foods, uh, reducing and managing stress, sleeping well, whatever we can do. We've got a lot of different you know, levers to pull, but we want to look at the ones that you have the most control over that you feel the best implementing and start there and, and, and keep building that foundation brick by brick. Um, so that's really the, the short version of how it's done. Um, somebody said, how do I know when to stop my reverse? I was in an unhealthy deficit for eight months. Um, so you want to look at biofeedback most importantly, and I still like to give it time. So if you were in an unhealthy deficit for eight months, let's say you get to your maintenance in about uh, three to four months. Well, now we want to look at biofeedback, how you know your, your hunger signals, your cravings, uh, your energy levels, your performance in the gym is going to be a big one, your mood, your stress, digestion, sleep quality. We really want to see your you know, your biofeedback improve. Um, one of the other things that you can look at, and, and sometimes we'll utilize like a, a metabolic assessment to see where things are at and just make sure that you're in a good state metabolically. Um, but we also want to hold that for a little while. Uh, and it depends on the person. But for the most part, we want to see like weight stable. We want to see improvements in biofeedback. Uh, we want to see that your metabolism is in a good spot. And also, we want to hold that homeostatic balance for a, a while um, if you're still trying to cut at some point. Again, we actually talked about this on our coaches chat, like the people who truly buy into that process and are like, yeah, I'm, I feel really good here. Let's, let's hang out here for a while. And uh, that sets us up for a more successful cutting phase because we have more room to work with. We can be more flexible. Um, it doesn't have to be as aggressive and because you've taken that time to let that homeostatic signal, you know, sink in with your body, it's going to be easier to drop body fat. So everybody's a little bit different on the timeline, but uh, you know, the signs that you should be looking for are what I just outlined in terms of weight stable, proper biofeedback, uh, metabolism in a good place, and then hold that for as long as you're comfortable holding it, and then you know, ultimately, you'll probably reach a point of impatience and. Even when that happens, just just still take a deep breath. There's no rush. There's no rush. Just remember, the long game is actually shorter than trying to play the short game. When you try to take shortcuts, that's what ends up taking longer um, in the end. So just play the long game. Um, somebody said, post-contest and metabolic adaptation, if you go straight to a surplus, will your body adapt? Meaning, if I continue exercise and lifting... The initial game is gain is fine, but will it level out over time? Yeah. So, um, oh wait, there's another part of this. I want to eat more and maintain. What's the best way to do this without a slow reverse? I love this question. Um, this is a great question because oftentimes it's the opposite, right? Most people are like, I know I need to reverse. I know I need to go through a metabolic priming phase, but I do not want to gain any weight. Like keep it 
minimal. And that's where like the slow reverse comes into play. We take our time, we let your body adapt and we slowly build, we slowly, you know, reduce stress. We slowly incorporate some, some different habits. We slowly get your calories to a good spot with this question coming off of a contest and, you know, likely being in a very significant deficit. Do we rip the bandaid off? Uh, Lane Norton actually is is pretty famous for this approach. He he used to do this all the time. I, I don't honestly can't say if he still does. Um, I'm talking about when I first started following Lane, which was probably 10, 12 years ago. And I read about him incorporating this with his athletes, uh, you know, um, getting them on stage and then literally just going right back to maintenance. And they would have this initial rebound, but it would level off. So yes, your body will adapt. So if you go right into maintenance or a small surplus, there will be an, a, a larger initial gain, but it will level off. So um, it saves you a lot of time because you don't have to go through the approach of slow and steady, um, you know, all the way up through the process. But um, yeah, that is, that is something that most people don't ask for, which is cool that you are leaning that direction because from a time perspective, let's just get homeostasis restored as fast as possible the, the drawback is yes, there will be um, a bit of you know more weight gain in the in the beginning, and that sometimes can scare people. Where it's like, all right, we ripped the bandaid off, we went back to maintenance, and you know now you're gaining weight faster than you'd like, and it's like, oh shit, should I drop calories again? And that's the the caveat is mentally you have to be ready for what's what's coming. But yes, uh, eventually your body will stabilize; it will um, you know restore that homeostatic balance that we're seeking. It's just, and it'll happen faster than a, a very slow and steady uh, reverse, but you do have to be prepared for uh, more weight gain in that initial short-term period. All right. These were some amazing questions. Thank you guys. Um, if I did not get to your question, I apologize. I'm going to try and keep these episodes you know, pretty short and concise for a change because you guys know I'm long-winded and go on tangents all the time. But um, yeah, that's really it for me. Um, it's it's going to be a continual Friday thing. I've got some more exciting announcements coming. Uh, registration for the challenge is likely open for another uh, day. So if you have not registered yet, you can go to neurotypechallenge.com. Um, that'll be shut down soon. If you go to the site and it's not open, um, just get yourself on the wait list so you don't miss the next one. And um, I appreciate it, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, as always, let me know about it. Shoot me a DM on Instagram at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And I will talk to you all next time.